At this time, the children can be dismissed for children's church. Before I begin, I ask briefly your patience. I am preaching from my iPad today, not because I'm trying to be edgy or technologically savvy, but because the opposite, technology failed me and printers weren't working. So I say that to you so that you're not distracted by a different mode of preaching this evening, not to draw your attention to it. Um, but I, I want to remind us in, of our task this morning. I think Andy appropriately put it last week. He, he used a baseball analogy to talk about how he was batting leadoff last week. The leadoff hitter is the one who starts the team strong. He, his job is to get us on base, to get runners in scoring position. And then, if that's the case, Floyd is our cleanup hitter next week. He's going to come. He's going to hit a monster home run. He's going to bring us home. But that means that for me... I have the task of being the bunter, <laughs> less glorious, but necessary nonetheless to move everyone along, to keep us going, and to get us all in the position for Floyd's monster home run next week. So, and to be honest, let's, let's be honest, that role suits me just fine as the bunter. So, all sports analogies aside and all joking aside, it is my pleasure and privilege to move us along this morning to take the good word that Andy brought us last week about God's people being a people of vision and to dig in a little bit deeper to see what the implications of that means for us. Specifically this morning, I want us to see that the people of God should be a kingdom-minded people. A kingdom-minded people. If you recall, Andy said several things, a couple things last week, that will help move us forward this morning. I want to I rehash what he said to give us something to jump off of again, to, to move us along. First, he said that the church is a people with a vision, and that that vision is regarding the kingdom of God in our midst. Most importantly, he reminded us that this kingdom is a present kingdom, not only a future one. Second, he said that the church is a people with a vision for God's glory. And I'm so, so happy that the, that the worship band did Emily's song this morning, Be Still. I, I, the whole time I'm working on my sermon this week, that song, I just could not get it out of my head. I was singing it over and over, and I was just blessed by it this morning. But that is our vision, right? A vision for God's glory, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And he asked us this, and, and maybe, maybe I was the only one who was convicted, but he asked us this last week. He said, does it bother us that God's glory is being trampled on in the world? So I want to bring that back up as, as, again, as foundation for where we'll go this morning. Does it bother us that God's glory is being trampled on in the world? So with those reminders in mind, let us look at how the people of God are to be a kingdom-minded people. So we'll, once again, we'll drink richly from the text of Isaiah 11 that we read last week. And although Andy stopped at verse 10 last week, I, I, I'd like to read all 16 verses of the chapter this morning. So would you please read along with me in chapter 11, the book of Isaiah. It's on 491 in the Pew Bibles. I'll be reading from the Pew Bible. 
A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. But they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile towards Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east, they will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that men can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, and as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us this promise, that you have given us a sure hope that the knowledge of your glory will cover this earth. Lord, may we have eyes to see, may we be filled with your spirit to have the power and the boldness to accomplish that task. Be with us this morning as we dig deep into your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we could spend hours talking about the kingdom of God. There are books about it. There are articles. I mean, we could go anywhere. But I want to spend our time this morning focusing on three particular points about the kingdom this morning. First, Andy mentioned this last week, but I think it's important to remember that the kingdom of God is a present reality. So in verses 1-5, through five, we read last week and we read again, we are shown the picture of the shoot from the stump of Jesse that brings life out of the decimation that occurred during the exile of God's people to Assyria. 
We read that this shoot is the one on whom the Spirit of God rests, whose delight is in the fear of the Lord, and who judges the world with righteousness and faithfulness. It is this shoot who brings the kingdom of peace that we see in verses 6 through 9. And I don't think it takes a biblical scholar to see that this shoot from the stump of Jesse is none other than Jesus himself, whose ministry on earth was guided by the Holy Spirit, and whose, whose ministry was guided by God's will, and who went to the cross as a result of his righteousness and his faithfulness. And if that's the case, then we see that Jesus is the one who brought this kingdom when he came 2,000 years ago. Now I want to jump to the Gospels and see how Jesus makes this point clear in his own words. In Mark 1.15, the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the first words out of Jesus' mouth of the whole Gospel are, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Jesus leaves no room for doubt about what his mission is. He is ushering in the kingdom of God. He's bringing the good news of the gospel that comes along with it. Similarly, we read in Matthew 11, 4-5, as John the Baptist is arrested, he's sitting in prison, he's he's kind of second-guessing whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. He sends messengers to ask Jesus for some clarification. And Jesus' response to those messengers is this, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. I mean, this response is straight out of Isaiah 35 and is unmistakably kingdom language. It's as if Jesus is saying to John, look around you, you are seeing the evidence of what you knew the kingdom of God would look like when the Messiah came. So who do you think I am? Matthew 11 shows us that Jesus' work is to be understood as the beginning of kingdom work in this world. And we could spend all morning looking through Scripture at points that point to the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality, but I'll let Andy's point last week, his statement last week, and these texts make that point again. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus is now. Therefore, there's work to be done. And if that's the case, then the second point here is the outcome of that first point, that present reality of the kingdom of God. Namely, that the kingdom of God involves his people from every nation. It involves his people from every nation. God's work throughout history has been to call his people out of their spiritual, and as we read today, often literal exile, in order to be part of his kingdom. We see it here in verse 10, as we see that this root of Jesse, that Jesus will stand as a sign, as a signal, as a banner, to call his people back from their exile. And I think if if we can use John 3.14 to be helpful to us here, we see that he's lifted up as a banner or a sign so that his people would enter his kingdom And as that verse in John says, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I mean, the reason why I was so excited to read verses 11 to 16 this week is because it's a total game changer in the Old Testament. Because 
we read in the earlier in Isaiah that God raises up a banner in, in Isaiah 5. He raises up a banner so that the foreign armies can see his people and come and send them to exile. So he takes his people from Israel and he sends them to exile in Assyria. And then we see here that not only is he going to raise a banner to call his people back from Assyria, but what do we read? That he calls his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, from the islands of the sea. I mean, we're supposed to read these nations figuratively because we see in verse 12, he raises this banner for the nations and he calls his people from the four corners of the earth. His point is that God is calling his people from every nation with Jesus as a banner to say, come, be a part of my kingdom. He, he talks about, I love it, in, in verse 15, he's going to dry up the Euphrates so that his people can walk back to his kingdom. He talks about at 16, he's going to pave a highway so that his people will not lose their step along the way. I mean, the imagery is unmistakable. He even says it in verse 16, as there was for Israel when they came out from Egypt. He's saying, just as I did in the exodus from Egypt, so I will do again and again and again for my people. God will make a way where human power cannot avail. So God is calling people from all nations to be part of His kingdom with Jesus as the banner by which they are to see and to find their way to Him. But we must ask the question, Jesus is no longer here on earth, so how is it that people will see His banner and join the work of the kingdom? Again, you've probably guessed it. This is no surprise to you. But yes, it's the task of the church. The task of the church is to be the one who raises the banner of Christ that says, come from every nation, come to the kingdom of God. I want to look at one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 20, 21, to help us understand this. So John 20, 21, Jesus is in the upper room. He comes, he's talking to his disciples and he says this, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. He stops, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, and, and he goes. And again, I think the implications here should be relatively clear. The church is called to be involved in the same mission as Jesus was sent to do. Now, famed missiologist Leslie Newbegin, who I, I absolutely love, I I wasn't going to go into a little spiel about Newbegin, but he's incredible. He, he was a missionary. He goes to India. Um, he's, I can't remember where in Europe he's from, but he, he goes to India. He's a, he's a missionary. He comes back and he goes, oh shoot, the Church of the West has completely lost its sight of the task, has completely lost sight, and he starts to write books about, you know, um, he writes this amazing book, it's one of my favorites, called Foolishness to the Greeks, and he talks about, as a missionary to India, he comes back and says, can the West even believe in the gospel anymore? And, the, and this whole book is about how do we even bring the gospel back to the Western church. But he says this about this text, about that Jesus' commissioning of his disciples was to embody and to announce within the limits of the present age, subject as it is to sin and death, 
the reality of the new age, of God's reign, of justice and mercy. So as Newbigin says, we are to build for the kingdom within the limits of this present age, knowing that the consummation of the kingdom, free from the limits of sin and death, is promised to us by our Lord. Now, for those of you who have done perspectives, for those of you who have taken classes on New Testament theology or any of this, you may have seen this graph. I debated putting it up on a slide, and I just it wasn't worth it. But... Um, to understand the kingdom of God is to understand that when Jesus Christ came the first time, he started the kingdom of God. But that consummation won't come again, it won't be fulfilled until he comes again. But we live in this in-between time, this time as some call the already not yet, where we're already part of the kingdom, where we're already working towards this final task, but it's not yet come to fruition. This is why he talks about we're to embody, how does he say it, we're to embody and to announce within the limits of the present age. We're to bring the kingdom of God knowing that we can't quite do it perfectly. And I love George Eldon Ladd, who's a New Testament professor at Fuller, who was a New Testament professor at Fuller, puts it this way, the kingdom of God in Christ has created the church and the kingdom of God works in the world through the church to accomplish the divine purposes of extending his kingdom in the world. So the kingdom of God is the task of the church and involves people from every nation. And if that's the case, and we're to be called to be working for that kingdom of God now, then the final point I want us to see this morning is what I said before. The kingdom of God and the, should be what the people of God are all about. Or to say it another way, the people of God should be a kingdom-minded people. Let me start by saying what I, what I fear we often mistake the kingdom of God for. I think one of the things that the church sometimes mistakes for the kingdom of God is this idea that it is our task as the church to call people to itself for the sole purpose of saving souls for the future. So we think the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom, is to call people to us in order that they would be saved for the future. And although that's part of the task, I think it's easy to remember the full scope of the task when we remember what Jesus did in his ministry when he was here on earth. And he write in one of, another one of my all-time favorite books, in a book called Surprised by Hope, says it this way. What he, talking about Jesus, what Jesus was promising for the future and doing in the present was not saving souls for a disembodied eternity, but rescuing people from the destruction and decay of the world, the way the world presently is, so they could enjoy already in the present that renewal of creation which is God's ultimate purpose. And so they could thus become colleagues and partners in that larger process. I'm going to read that again because I think, it's, I think he's got it. I think he hits the nail on the head. What Jesus was promising for the future and doing in the present was not saving souls for a disembodied eternity, but rescuing people from the destruction and decay of the way the world presently is so that they could enjoy already in the present that renewal of creation, which is God's ultimate purpose, 
and so they could thus become colleagues and partners in that larger project. And if this is true, then we must see that everything we are doing now is for the sake of building for the kingdom of God, getting God's original plan back on track after the fall. I mean, Andy touched on this last week, but God's original creation had the knowledge of his glory everywhere. It was the manifestation of his kingdom perfected here in this world. But the second we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thus choosing to make the knowledge of our glory the thing that we worked towards, the kingdom of God was forgotten, and we needed to be reminded of our task as humans made in the image of God. At that point, justice was distorted. Peace disappeared as the kingdom of sin and evil enslaved us into fighting for our own autonomy and for fighting for our own glory at all costs instead of seeking the glory of God. This is the point Andy made about do we feel bothered by the fact that the glory of God is trampled on in this world? But we know God did something about it. He sent Jesus to usher in the kingdom. But he did something even more than just send Jesus that I think we often forget. He sent his spirit to fill his people in order that they could be agents of the kingdom, made new creations, living for the purpose that they were originally intended, to bring back that justice and that peace where it had been abandoned and forgotten. And again, this is key. I think we often see the Spirit's task in our life as one-sided. He comes and He helps us live a holy life in order that we can see the fruit of our salvation. Yes, that's so much part of the task of the Holy Spirit. But it's also for the purpose of making us new creations that are on mission with a vision that God's glory would be known as we fight for justice for the oppressed and where peace for the marginalized is once again evidenced in this world. Wright continues in that book, he says, The church, because it is the family that believes in hope for the new creation, should be the place in every town and village where new creativity bursts forth for the whole community, pointing to the hope that, like all beauty, always comes as a surprise. Again, Andy reminded us last week, but we read in Isaiah 11 here, we read that, that, those verses on peace, you know, where, where the ox is going to be with the lion and the lion's going to eat straw like an ox and the cow is going to feed with the bear. I mean, that is not normal. That's why last week when Andy read it, we were all going, mm, yes, amen, mm, because that's not normal. Wright says it comes as a surprise. The kingdom of God is surprising because it goes completely against the kingdom of sin and evil and autonomy that we fight for every day, that this world fights for every day. Our task in this world is to bring the peace that we see in verses 6 through 9, to call people from every nation as we saw in 10 through 16 with the banner of Jesus, and to fight for justice as the Lord showed us in verses 1 through 5 in this text. So in light of what Andy said last week, and in light of what we just read this morning, What does that look like for us? Andy reminded us, and for some it might have been a first-time reminder, of our framework here at Lanesville of invite, grow, send. This framework that dictates how we look at everything else we do. Invite, grow, send. And I think it's helpful that we look at it again in light of what it means for God's people to be kingdom-minded people. 
We're to be a people of invitation, not merely inviting people to this building, but inviting people into the reality of the kingdom of God that brings peace, hope, and love into a world where that doesn't naturally exist anymore. We're to be a people committed to spiritual growth, not just for our own sake and salvation, but because our vision for the knowledge of God's glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea depends on us being a people transformed by the Holy Spirit and committed to His kingdom and His mission. And finally, we are a people who realize that we are sent and commissioned by our King to preach repentance and the good news of the gospel of grace to a world that hopes in things that are fleeting and failing. I think one more, one more N.T. Wright quote can, can suffice for us to drive this home uh, for us this morning. He says, The power of the gospel lies not in the offer of a new spirituality or religious experience, but in the powerful announcement that God is God, that Jesus is Lord, and that the powers of evil have been defeated, and God's new world has begun. Do we see that as our task as disciples of Jesus to go into the world and make the announcement sin and death and evil have been defeated? We are part of a kingdom of victory. We have the joy of a victorious kingdom in a world where all they see is death and sin and evil and hopelessness and justice being distorted and peace being forgotten. Do we see that as our task to go out and be peacemakers, to be justice bringers, to be agents of the gospel of Christ in a world that desperately needs it? Before I conclude this morning, I want to submit one final thought about a a mindset shift that I think is vital in order for the people of God to be a kingdom-minded people. This mindset change involves seeing that our work for the kingdom has less to do with this campus and this building and more to do with how we live and conduct ourselves in the world out there. This isn't anything groundbreaking. This isn't anything we haven't heard before. Floyd and I preached fruitfulness on the front lines. What does it look like to be fruitful where we go? We've read books. We've talked about this. This is nothing groundbreaking. But I think it's important for us to remember that Why we come here is for the sake of what we do out there. Some of you read the book Imagine Church. You've seen the picture of the dots. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. For those who don't, you think I'm crazy. Um, But this picture is there's a bunch of dots. It's a square of dots. And it shows that the mindset of the church is often we have several red dots in one corner. And that's where we collect. That's where we congregate as a church in the corner. And we hope to touch those who are immediately around us, the three, four dots who are kind of close by those red dots. And we think that that's our task. We know we have to reach out and and get those that are right near us. But the Imagine Church representation of how the church should act shows these dots with red dots scattered throughout. And the point is, when we come and collect as a church and try to fight for the kingdom, it's a lot less effective than when we see what we're doing here as mobilizing us, mobilizing us and equipping us for scattering into our everyday lives and being agents for the kingdom of God out there where we're able to have a red dot touch these five dots and another red dot touch these five dots. And why I think this is so important 
is the first model shows us inviting people to a space. It shows us growing people for the sake of that, that cycle to keep going. And then we send people out to invite more to that space. And it's this, this insular-looking cycle. But when we remember that the task of the church is to mobilize, is to scatter, then we're inviting people to be part of the kingdom. That we're growing people for the sake of being agents of this mission and this vision that we know we have. And we see that we are all tasked with being sent for that. Not just some who we we check off a box and say, yes, we feel you're sent to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Instead, we see that we are all sent to be agents of the kingdom. Some are called by God to go to the ends of the earth. Some are called by God to go to their YMCA. Some are called by God to go to their families. But we are all sent as agents of the kingdom of God. Kingdom-minded disciples understand that what we do here is for the sake of what we're called to do out there. Kingdom-minded disciples are vision-driven to make the reality of God's rule and reign clearly seen here and now in the context where they find themselves. And kingdom-minded disciples have a passion for God's glory and commit their lives to the task of building for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. People of God are to be a kingdom-minded people who bring hope, love, and peace to a broken and dying world that is without those things. So as I conclude, let me leave you with two brief food for thoughts. First, where has God called you to be a witness to the reality of his kingdom in your life? Like I said, it could be your workplace, it could be your family, could be the grocery store, it could be the YMCA, or you could feel God calling you to take his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Wherever it is, we are to remember that the kingdom is at hand and we are called to bring the peace and the good news of the gospel in every area of our life. So ask yourself, where are those places for me in my life? And second, How could we begin to see that the things we are engaged in here at church are for the purpose and task of equipping and mobilizing us for the greater task of the kingdom of God? When we remember that we are vision-driven for the sake of the knowledge of God's glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, and for the kingdom of God to be built here on earth, we will not fall into that false mindset of doing things for our own sake. Instead, we will be intentional and focused on what really matters, and we will live out our task as kingdom-minded disciples. So let us remember, the people of God are called to be a kingdom-minded people, and may we ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, to give us power, and to give us boldness to build for this kingdom in every area of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. We are so thankful for Jesus Christ, for the cross, for his resurrection, Lord, for being the banner by which each and every one of us here saw your kingdom so clearly. Lord, may we remember that moment when the kingdom of God took root in our heart. May it now take root in our minds and our hands and our feet as we go into this world and we build for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, be with us 
as we sang in the songs this morning, speak, O Lord, may we understand and discern your call for our lives here in Lanesville. May we understand what it means to build for the kingdom here. And Lord, may we be open to your call to send us to the ends of the earth to bring your gospel, to bring your kingdom to a world that's so desperately in need of a gospel of peace and justice. Remind us that we are new creations in your spirit, and then that changes everything about what we say and do. Be with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand continue worship by singing hymn number 642, Be Thou My Vision. Victory one, may I. 
Now is the time where we come to the Lord and respond in prayer and praise. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to do that, to respond to what we've heard in his word this morning. And as we go to prayer, I would encourage you to take out the yellow prayer sheet, which does have many. Thank you, Venus. Which does have many of the items on it that we would like to pray about together as a congregation, specifically Cape Ann Bible Church this morning, the persecuted church in India, Joel and Tatiana's ministry. So before we go to prayer, I'd like to bring, uh, ask Joel and Tatiana to come forward for a 